I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 178. And y'all, her birthday is over. But I must say, we did have a good time. Yes. And you didn't almost die this year. Until after my birthday. <laughs> Not really. Like, I didn't almost die. I just didn't feel good. Yeah. Not the coronavirus. Not the coronavirus. Also, do is do we still say coronavirus? I feel like we say COVID, right? I don't know. I feel like I went back to, like, early 2020. <laughs> it was just the monthly things, y'all. You know. And hers hates her. But tell them what we did do for your birthday. We held and fed a sloth. Ooh! And not in, like, the gross, eat, like, in the, Wait. Yeah, I didn't think we were going to do it like me and Carrie. We we're going to be able to like touch the sloth. Because in pictures, its nails and its eyes give me the heebie-jeebies. And it was very mesmerizing. Sidebar, this is going to be a long intro because, you know, we're talking about Donna. So <laughs> if you hate these intros, skip, skip, skip. Like hit the button like 18 times. <laughs> well, when the sloth came out in all of its glory, I thought... It looks so <laughs> fake. I was like, wait, is... Are they tricking us? Is it like a stuffed animal? Oh, no. It moved. It's real. It's real. Well, we should say, too, this has been like months in the workings, too, because you have to book this out months in advance. But I think it's so cool because we got to be with the one whose name is Chewy. And Tiffany's niece, Christian, because she was like four years old when I met her, and now she's like 24. But... She used to call me Chewy. Why, we don't know. She doesn't even remember why she would do it. Right. But she just started calling me Chewy. I don't know if she couldn't say Carrie. I don't know. But so I don't know. I just thought that was cute. Yeah, it was cute. Look, this was actually a really good time, um, informative, and everything. It wasn't that alpaca event that we had. There was no hairy soap. No. And the best part of all, because y'all know I'm like obsessed with giraffes right now. Give me like three months and I'll probably hate him. Y'all know how I am. ADHD at his finest. But. You've actually been pretty obsessed with them For like three months. Yeah. Five, <laughs> five months. Yeah. So the zoo has a new giraffe exhibit. And we were running late. So imagine that. Initially, we were going to try to get to the zoo a little bit early. Go walk, see the new giraffes. And then go to our sloth experience. But, you know, we're running late. So we couldn't do it. Well, while we're there, we actually got to go into, into the giraffe exhibit. Like, into the back alleyway, tried to feed them. They weren't having it. But, like, we were so close to the giraffes. It was like a dream come true. It really was. And they're so tall. I mean, like, really. I mean, because it's, duh, they're giraffes. But even their legs and stuff, the my head probably came up to the bottom of the mama's tail. Yeah, it was wild. You came up to their knees. I mean, on a good day, their knees. But we have pictures, and so we'll post those in the group and some video. I have about a uh, 100 different faces because... If y'all could have seen her face when that sloth <laughs> came out, she looked like, I mean, legit a kid who just made it to Santa's workshop. <laughs> Like, that was the joy on her face. Like, <gasps> like Santa, I know him. Well, because it was real. I know. It was real. It was real. You had a more, like, <gasps> reaction to the sloth than you did the alpacas. I think because... Um, we I were in deliverance. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to die. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it was like a legit setup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Like if they had an alpaca exhibit, like where I could go and, you know, do that there at Mm -hmm. the zoo, I would probably have even more of a reaction to that. But uh, yeah, that hairy hairy soap place. And uh, you had to be on guard. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to the episode right around Donna's birthday last year. Not last year. Two years ago, I forgot about the pandemic, <laughs> and you'll hear that experience. It, it was one for the books. It could have been on Let's Not Meet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I just picture, like, the husband that was in the garage Literally, watching us creepily. Yes. Is I that was, a word? But he was doing that, like, like whittling wood. Yes. You know? I was going to be like, to the man who watched us make the hairy soap, let's not meet again. <laughs> Poor guy. He didn't do anything. He I know. just watched. He was just being his, living his best life. Like He's probably like, God, why did they have to come today? It was a good Saturday, and now I have to be out here. Don't they know how fucking hot it is? It's <laughs> August in Mississippi. <laughs> but yeah, it was a great birthday. That day was amazing. Then the week after, I, I was a sloth on the couch, and I watched uh, the whole... The whole four seasons of Queen of the South. I was going to say, you watched the whole Netflix. (laughs) I did. I did. I didn't do anything. I couldn't do anything. That's all right. So far, 36 hates me. (laughs) Not as bad as 35 did. True. True. So big thanks to all of y'all who sent happy birthdays and everything in the Facebook group or in messages. All of that. Thank you so much. And Karen sent you the sloth blanket. Oh, my gosh. And Ashlyn sent you the... She sent me carbs and cocks and the furry bones. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And then she sent me... Like it was a piece of toast, a furry bone, and a chicken furry bone. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And then a llama or an alpaca. They're interchangeable to me, okay? Uh, They're literally the same animal in my brain. (laughs) Alpacas are are cuter to me. Just because they're fuzzier. Their snout's shorter, too, huh? I mean, sometimes. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm not a fucking farmer. You don't even know words. Anatomically. Well, you know who I'm thankful for? Patreoners! It should be noted, I have a lot of H's and a lot of Texas's. No, okay. It's not a word. But first and foremost, thank you so much, Ashley G. from Virginia. Lindsay D. from Michigan. Kelly H. from Texas. Crystal B. from Kentucky. Amber H. from Texas. Jessica C. from Virginia. Osiris H. from Ohio. Julie K. from Texas. (laughs) She sounded like that TikTok. If you're not listening to this podcast, where are you at? That's what you sounded like. (laughs) Matt K. from Texas. And Cindy S. from New York. More specifically, Long Island. Thank you all so much for signing up for Patreon, especially in the month of August, which is the best month of the whole year, besides October. And then, I guess, April. Anyway. Oy vey. <laughs> Way to make it about you. <laughs> I I included you third. <laughs> anyway. Thank y'all so much. We hope you are enjoying all of the bonus content. And if you want an episode shout out, just like these Patreoners, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Okay, so my story this week, I don't even know how I found it. 
All I know is I had a screenshot of a Wikipedia page in my screenshots for the podcast, but I have no idea how I went down that rabbit hole. But we're going to talk about three best friends that began the Church of Wells. Okay. Sean Morris and Ryan Ringnald met, it's like R-I-N-G-N-A-L-D. Mm-hmm. think I'm saying it right, but here we are. So, Sean and Ryan met circa like 2004-ish while they were attending Baylor University in Texas. A lot of Texas. I know. We're surrounded by it. It's like it's a really big state or something. I wonder if they all know each other. (laughs) That's some shit your mama would say. For sure. Also, this is really recent. Oh, very. So they were both going to Baylor, like I said. And it tends to be more of a religious university. You know, a lot of people go there for, like, theology and Bible stuff, you know. So they were no different. Sean majored in religion, and he wasn't particularly interested in traditional extracurriculars, as Sonia Smith, like, mentioned in her article. I don't know. I just like the way she said that, like, traditional extracurriculars. For his pastime, what he decided to do was, like, stand on a milk crate in front of all these people going to Baylor and preach to them, like, fire and brimstone type things. Now, not just that whole stand on a milk carton and preach. He would, he's very aggressive in that he would confront people and be like, your faith is wrong and you're doing all this wrong. You know, it was very aggressive. And students said that it was almost like, okay, if he asked you, are you a Christian? You were like, yeah. He's like, no, you're not. Because you didn't do it his way. Like it was very what he thought of how Christianity should be. It was his way or no way. Sean ended up having a girlfriend, and they dated for about two years, like sophomore to senior year kind of thing. And Sean truly believed that this was the girl that he was supposed to marry. Like, God spoke to him, and this is the one. Throughout their relationship, he started alienating her from her family and just taking more and more control over her to the point where he eventually stopped working and she continued to work and had to pay for everything because God wanted him to just basically go out there and stand on a milk carton and preach. Wow. And they lasted for a while with her, like I said, paying for everything and having all of this emotional and financial abuse, especially, like I said, he was starting to separate her from her family. I'm the only one that loves you. Don't talk to them. Only talk to me kind of thing. How does he find someone, and I'm still single? Well, it didn't last. Eventually, she got tired of this. Because, I mean, it was down to even, you know, he would tell her that her clothes weren't modest enough. And then when she would change, it's too modest. You know? So it's like, there was no way. I mean, you know, it was so she eventually was just like, fuck this. I'm done. Right. He would tell her if she didn't change her clothes, that she was willfully disobeying God and denouncing Jesus. When Sean would go to class, which wasn't that often because he was too busy preaching on his milk crate, he would get in these huge debates and arguments with his teachers on how they were wrong. And like, just that annoying, you know, that person in class where you're just like, shut the fuck up. You're not that smart. Like, quit trying. So, you know, like... 
they have their job for a reason. You're a dumb fuck. Shut up. Yes. And even if he had good points, it's just like, okay, 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 okay. And it's lost in the delivery. And it's the 745th time that he's interrupted the class. And so you're (laughs) just like, nobody gives a fuck about your opinion. Like, he just seemed like one of those people that he just... Felt like everyone needs to know his opinion because it's so great in his eyes. Right. I'm paying for education from them, not your opinion. Exactly. I can get that for free when you're standing on your milk crate. Precisely. In February of 2008, they had just gotten back from a trip to Nigeria to visit his parents. So they had been together for like 20 months at this point. And they had just kissed for the first time. Wow. When they got back, even though he had already bought, like, an engagement ring and everything, she was like, I'm out. Like, this is too manipulative. This is not for me. I'm not happy. Like, I've got to move on. Good for her. And when she broke up with him, he, of course, flipped his fucking lid and was like, you're disobeying the Lord. Because in his brain, God had told him that they're going to get married. So she's disobeying God by breaking up with him. Well, after this breakup... It was almost like something flipped in Sean's brain because he had to come up with a way to cope with what he thought was God's will versus how something actually unfolded. And so it was almost like he decided, okay, God can change his mind. And so everything that didn't go the way he wanted to or, you know, if he predicted something or anything, well, God changed his mind. (laughs) Okay. And it was after this relationship ended that Sean, Ryan Ringnold, and Jacob Gardner would develop this tight bond. So Ryan and Sean had met Jacob at this church in Waco, but not like Branch Davidian's church in Waco. Um, it's like the Antioch or something church. And they formed a friendship super fast. It was like when three people who have all the same like bizarre beliefs mm-hmm. and and they just fucking find each other like a fucking fly to a flame. Yeah. It was like they just flocked to one another. Well, a little bit about Ryan Ringnold. So, his time at Baylor was very different than Sean's. He was in a fraternity, he played tennis, he majored in speech and communications. Like he had the nickname Ringo, like he was like a fun-loving guy. You know, I hate you right now. (laughs) Because he had a nickname. He was completely different. Exactly. (laughs) I hate you so much right now. Well, he had started kind of going on what he deemed to be like the bad path. I mean, he started dipping tobacco, you know, had all these different CDs, started having some debt from... Yes, I said he had a lot of CDs. Yes, I see your face. He had started with a little bit of an online gambling addiction and started having some debts from that. And that's when he was like, okay, hold up. I got to give myself over to the Lord. Not my words, theirs. So that's kind of when he flipped his script and him and Sean came together. They graduated from Baylor in 2008. And that's when their interest in religion and all even grew more. Together, they would just preach on the streets. And after a couple of years, they actually had some followers. And they started this little church in Arlington, Texas. But Arlington being bigger, they weren't able to afford things. 
And so in 2012, that's when they moved to this little tiny town, kind of close to Lufkin, Texas, called Wells. And this town only has like a population of like 800. It's a very small town. So that's when they went from being like the Church of Arlington to the Church of Wells. And I'm not sure that was the exact title of the Arlington thing, but close enough. I listened to this podcast called Cultish, and they had a guy, well, they did like a two-part series on the Church of Wells, and they had a guy on there by the name of Matt Meyer. And just like a little bit of what he said on that podcast, and you can find some of his videos on YouTube about like his interactions with the church. He just has a lot of information that he's gathered from past members and all of that. But basically, from what he said, too, there's a lot of misinformation out there about the Church of Wells. I think that the biggest takeaway right now is that the Church of Wells is still in existence. Okay. This is a story all about how this, I'm going to call it a cult. Okay. And it's still in existence. Wow. And it causes some problems, I feel like, for the community of Wells. Because, you know, when you Google it, it's like, there's a cult here. Beware. Be careful. There's a cult here, you know. But I also feel like there's a lot of conspiracy that surrounds even the town. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But basically, the Church of Wells is a revivalist approach to Christianity. I mean, okay, that sentence is straight from Wikipedia, TBH. But basically what it means is the Church of Wells believes that even if you are a Christian and you say that you are saved, like you're going to go to heaven. Remember how I talked about that Sean had gone through that breakup and he was like, oh, God changes his mind. Well, that's what their church is basically based on. And, oh, you think you're saved? Well, God can change his mind if he doesn't like what you're doing kind of thing. And traditional Christians believe that, well, not all, but most denominations of Christianity believe that once saved, always saved kind of thing. And they're saying, no, that's not right. And if you dress inappropriately or you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you're going to like lose God's love, basically. And they also believe very hellfire and brimstone type stuff. They cherry pick, which, whatever, but they cherry pick passages from mostly the Old Testament of how you should act. Like they believe that cell phones are terrible and that you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go on the internet, all these things. Meanwhile, they use cell phones and there's literally a website for the Church of Wells. I was so going to say... It's, uh, it's very like Amish meet Scientologists mm. <laughs> where it's like how the Amish are like, no phones. Yeah, you can actually have one in your barn. And actually, if you need one, you can borrow one from the English air quotes right. around that because anybody that's not Amish is called the English. And so it's like, it's, um, it's like that. It's like, you can't do it, but if somebody else has one, you can borrow it. Right. But then also very Scientologist in the... Don't read anything on the internet. The internet says that we're bad. We're not bad. See, we love you. Your parents are wrong. The, the world's wrong. We're not bad. We're, we're great. Mm-hmm. Everything you read about us isn't true. They're just trying to keep you away from the truth. Right. Well, and they could say about their website, well, we have a website to get more people who are... Because we need to teach them the truth. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they do that's very, very cultish is that 
they isolate people from their families. So there is a passage in Luke 14, 26 that basically says, if man comes to me, me being God, and you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, and brethren and sisters, oh, and your own life, you can't be my disciple. Like literally that's what it says. And so again, they cherry pick these verses. And so they say, okay, see, if you don't hate all your family and, and, and yourself, you're not truly a follower of God and you're not really saved. So come with us. We love you. So come with us and we'll make everything better and we'll show you how to actually be saved. So this group has a few controversies that surround it, you know, other than their beliefs and teachings, but a few controversies that made people go, wait, what? what's going on here? Probably one of the more heartbreaking controversies surrounding the Church of Wells has to do with Kristen and Daniel Pursley. Kristen and Daniel had been pretty religious, from what I understand, before they came to the Church of Wells. And they joined the church in November of 2011. And they were telling their family that they weren't saved and that they had never been saved because they believed the doctrine of this church. I mean, they were in it. And of course, they stopped all communication with their family. But one day on May 27th of 2012, Kristen and Daniel called their in-laws and as soon as the phone rang and they saw who it was, they knew that something was wrong. Kristen and Daniel had actually gotten pregnant. And while the church isn't necessarily against medical care, they are against medical care that's, quote, supremely over Christ. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Did he actually mean supremely overpriced? Because me too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what? Okay, so I should say content warning that this is this is going to get pretty dark right here. So Kristen never received any prenatal care while she was pregnant. No ultrasounds, no trip to the OBGYN, literally nothing. And when it was time to give birth to their baby, Faith Pursley, they did a home birth, which, okay, Fine, you didn't go to a hospital. Cool, you can do home births. That happens all the time. It's literally what people have done for centuries and centuries and centuries, right? But they usually have the help of like a doula, a midwife, somebody with some sort of experience. Well, they did not. So Faith was born inside their apartment. And after she was born, she just would not take to the breast. Like she would not nurse. Don't give me that look. That's what it's. That's how you say it, Donna. And so they would literally have to feed her breast milk with an eyedropper. Well, Daniel and Kristen start noticing that she's got a bluish tint to her hands and her face. And so eventually the church leaders, you know, the dudes that are like our age, the church elders, that's what they're called. And I'm like, um, you're like 35, whatever. They come over and they start praying over faith. The neighbors are actually the ones that called 911. They called the cops because of basically a noise disturbance because they heard chanting. Now, I will say that I saw that in some places that Daniel called the police, but everything else I saw said that it was just actually the neighbors. And when police get there, they find baby Faith laying in the bassinet, wearing a diaper and a blanket, and 
they realize that she has passed. And not only that, she had been dead for 15 hours. Oh my gosh. And so the church believed that they could literally pray her illness away. And that they're just standing over her praying instead of seeking medical treatment. An autopsy showed that her death was caused by pulmonary valve stenosis, which is a congenital heart condition. And it's treatable. And that in the time from her birth to her death, she had lost two pounds. Oh my which gosh. is a fuck ton for a baby. Yeah. Like, they always lose a few ounces from the time they're born to, you know, their first appointment, like a week later, or however it is. They always lose some, but fucking two pounds. And from what I can find, there have been no charges ever filed. And I don't understand that's at least negligence. Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, like, nothing ever happened to them. And they have other children. And the church is like, you know, we've seen a lot of miracles happen. And Sean Morris says, we weren't being foolish. We want God to be glorified. Um, God just changed his mind, Carrie. Exactly. And, you know, at the time, they had, like, three other kids under the age of five. And so it's like, how... This is what's so hard about this story, because the whole time you want to swoop in and stop things, but at what point do you say freedom of religion versus impeding on someone's rights? Now, with that, I feel like that's clear cut. You know, their decision resulted in that baby's death. But then again, on the flip side, if someone is Jehovah Witness and they don't want their child to receive blood products and that child has leukemia and they die, that's their religious beliefs. So, you know, it's like, at what point do you say, no, we have to step in because this is a child versus it, like I said, impeding on their or encroaching on their religious beliefs, you know? And so that is what is so hard about this story because there's so many situations that come up. And I'm even going to, I've got a couple more little, little stories like that. And then it's like, no, like, stop that. They're a cult. Like, how, how can authorities not swoop in and say, no, this is wrong. But usually they're adults and it's their fucking religious freedom. Well, honestly, how would they even have a birth certificate or anything for faith? Yeah, I don't know. Because well, you would, they a- would, well, you, you would just send off for it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you could do a home birth and then send off for it. It doesn't... But it would have to be with people there, right? No. People have home births all the time and get birth certificates. Yeah, but with... You say, like, with a doula? Yeah, but no. Oh, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, but you can still get one. You just... I don't know what you do. I don't know how you do it. But, I mean, think about people from 1912 that have a birth certificate. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? But it's people have home births that their granddaughter is the doula and their other granddaughters have, you know what I mean? I don't know why I said granddaughter, but somebody in the family is the thing and it's not like a hired thing. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but they would be able to get a birth certificate, I feel like. I don't know. Y'all tell us because what the fuck do we know? But again, that is one of those cases where it's like, how do you protect these children and still make sure that you are allowing them to have their religious freedom. So remember how I told you I listened to that podcast, Cultish, and it had that Meyer guy on it? 
Yeah. Okay. So he actually lives next door to the cult. Oh, okay. And that wasn't intentional. Basically what he said, and you should go listen to this interview because it's like an hour long interview with him and it's really fascinating. But so basically he had a friend from college. They're very religious. And he had a friend from college that joined the cult. And she went from sending them these emails like, oh my God, blah, 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 I'm going to move here. I found this new church, blah, 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 to all of a sudden her email started changing like, I was never saved and y'all aren't. And, you know, all these teachings from the church, aka cult, that he was like, "Mm, that's weird. That's not like her. Well, then he got another message from her being like, hey, I'm getting married. And so he just happened to be in the area traveling in an RV with him and his, I think at the time, like six kids, because he's got like nine now. And he just happened to be in the area. So he and his wife and the kids went to the wedding. And he said it was really bizarre. Basically, as soon as they got out of their RV, they split him and his wife up. Like she had to go with the women and the kids, and he stayed with the men. And that the ceremony for the wedding was very bizarre. It was two-hour sermon on, like, everybody's going to hell, you're not really saved kind of thing. And that at one point when they prayed, everybody's eyes were closed, and he just, like, and he so he just, like, stood up and walked to the bride to be like, God sent me here for a reason, like, this is not right, like, we need to go. And she ended up going back with him to the back of the church, like, she was about to leave, with him and she asked him to say like one more time what'd you tell me and he's like you know god led me here to to be here right now like you need to get out of here and then all of a sudden like people were kind of starting to look and then she kind of panicked and just recited some more of the propaganda she had been brainwashed into and so he and his wife left without her and that was kind of the start of his battle with the church And according to his wife, when she was in the area with the women and kids, they used corporal punishment with the kids. They had, they used switch and they called it switching. And when the kid did something bad, they would hit the kids with the switches. And she said it was just so bizarre because the kids wouldn't even cry. Like they would beat these kids with these switches. And then like the kid would just be quiet. And it's like, who, what kid? I mean, I know you don't know this because you never got spanked, but Like, what kid doesn't cry when they get spanked, you know? And so it was like, I just was thinking, is it because they're so, like, desensitized to it and it doesn't hurt any? I mean, of course it hurts, but you know what I mean? Or is it that they got the shit beat out of them because they cried? Right. And it's like, oh, God, no matter how bad this hurts, I can't cry because I'm going to get in more trouble. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that's like... Fifth party information because he's on this podcast and he's saying what his wife said. You know, this is not, I saw that in no other article. It was just what he had said on that podcast. But basically, they ended up moving to Wells and the church built their building like right next door to him. And so there are videos online of his interactions with the church where they're coming on his property and they're spouting all this propaganda to him. And he's like, dude, you need to get off my property. Like, you know, I don't want any part of this. Like, stop talking to me. Like, you need to get off the property. And they end up having to call the sheriff and stuff because he can't get them to leave. There was this girl, Catherine Grove, who in like July 2013 joined the cult. 
Her parents were so distraught by this. They actually borrowed somebody's RV and just like moved to Wells. And they lived there for a few months trying to be able to see their daughter, meet with her, just like have a conversation with her. And I feel like just like in Scientology, you have to cut, like I said, you have to cut ties with your family members who aren't in this cult. Just like Scientology, you have to cut ties with family members and people who aren't Scientologists. Well, long story short, apparently Catherine had tried to escape from the cult four different times. And every time when the sheriffs would pick her up, she would just say, take me back. And that's why some people think that Maybe the sheriff's department is like in on it with this cult because it wasn't until one day when Catherine escaped and she actually crossed over into Angelina County that she actually got away. And so they're like, hmm, that's sketch that when it was finally a different sheriff's department that helped her, you know, she actually got away versus this other sheriff's department taking her back every time. However, she's an adult. And if she's asking to go back, you got to take her. You can't be like, well, see, you're in a cult. So, no, we're not going to take you back, you know? But what if they're lying and she never asked to go back? Well, that's what people are saying. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? But I feel like this is, like, the only thing that that I could find. And, again, there's so much conspiracy and all of that surrounded by this cult and it's not that big of a cult like it's not like it's 200,000 members it's like 90 members you know when Catherine left the cult she just randomly reached out to her dad and said I need you in Wells they're only four hours away at this point so they fucking book it over to Wells to try to help her She's found walking down the road wearing this turtleneck and a long black skirt, and she's carrying her purse. She was super pale, and people are like, you know, we'd seen her around town, so they knew who she was because, again, she was this one that, like, escaped all the time and always went back, you know, so she was kind of known. Plus, again, Wells is a very small town, and, I mean, you know the cult, you know? Well, once she crossed into Angelina County, she stopped somebody and asked them to use their cell phone so that she could call 911. And, you know, they said that it was almost like she didn't know how to interact with people and the world. And she told the 911 operator that she needed someone to pick her up. And this time, she didn't say that she wanted to go back. She never mentioned it. But she was hesitant to call her parents which I don't know why she'd already messaged them saying, I need you to come here. So I don't know why she was so hesitant, but it was almost like she was scared of what would happen. But the sheriff just told her like, look, but he's like a father's love. It's hard to explain. Like you're still his little girl. Nothing's going to change that. And she's like, okay, okay. Just like, keep telling me that kind of thing so that she had the courage to, to do this. Well, when her dad gets there, and as her, the sheriff is leading her to his dad, her dad's car, she starts smiling. And he's like, this is the first time I've seen her smile, like, ever. And he comments on that, like, it's so good to see you smile kind of thing. And when he does, her smile immediately goes away. And she looks at him and says, I wish I could help you, but I can't. You're demon-possessed. Your daughter's demon-possessed, and you'll never know God. 
the fuck? Yeah, it was like as soon as he made a, a comment on her appearance, it was like she reverted back to that mm-hmm. cult mentality. And of course, you know, people reached out to the cult to say like, what do you think happened? And why'd she leave? And just like Scientology does with any time they have a parishioner leave, you know, they they say that she left with a bitterness in her heart for the Lord. And it's like, of course, put the blame on her and something's wrong with her. Why she left, it doesn't have anything to do with the church and their beliefs. It's because something's wrong with her. Which, I mean, that's just classic cult move. You have to put the blame so that you can do damage control with the members that you still have so that they don't get the idea to leave. If they're like, well, what's so bad that Catherine's leaving? Well, it's because she's damaged. The Church of Wells has had some trespassing stuff against them where they've gone up to schools to try to do preaching stuff where they've like, no, you can't do this. And, you know, they've got some trespassing things against them. In April of 2014, Sean Morris and this parishioner member, whatever, by the name of Taylor Clifton, they went to the homecoming parade for Wells. And while they were there, they were doing their preaching and they were literally screaming at the people in the parade and the people there but, you know, especially if this, this is a homecoming parade for the kids. Like, picture, like, the band right. and the cheerleaders and the dancers and the blah, 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 blah. And they're screaming at them how they're going to hell and only God loves them and, and all of this. And so some of the parents just had enough. And the dads were like, leave my kids a fucking loan. And they started beating them up. Like, don't hit anybody. That's not cool. But they started beating up Taylor and Sean. And Sean and Taylor never fought back, and they ended up not pressing charges on the parents that hurt them. But it was this physical altercation because they are literally screaming in these kids' faces Mm -hmm. that they're going to hell and nobody loves them and all this stuff. They're inciting anger. Yes, and the parents are like, because you got to think, too, the people in this town know that this is a cult, and they know that this is terrible, and they're like, no, leave my fucking kids alone. Leave us alone. You go do you and your area, but you leave us the fuck alone. And they just had a fuck enough of it. Again, we're not condoning violence. like, But they just got to that point of rage where they just couldn't hold it back. Then, sorry, this one kind of makes me giggle a little bit. Then in June of 2015, six members of the Church of Wales went to Lakewood Church in Houston. Oh, goodness. Which, if you don't know, is Joel Osteen's church, who is that mega preacher that you see on TV that sells all the books, that looks like um, if Haley Joel Osmond and Screech had a baby. Doesn't he? Does his face look like yeah. Haley Joel Osmond to me? I think it's Osmond. Oh, what something. is it? What did I say? Osmond. Oh. I think, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not Osmond. I don't know what I was saying. <laughs> but it's yes. not that. But look, didn't his face just look it like really it's the does. eyes? Anyway. Um, he's like the smiling preacher, the happy preacher. Yeah, he's basically the life coach. Mm-hmm. So they go to this church. But it's in the old... Rocket Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, this a was basketball. a literal basketball stadium that when the Rockets moved to the Toyota Center, he like bought it. And made it this Fort God. And it's 
fucking huge. I, I, look, when I lived in Houston, I was like, I got to go one time. Like, I got to see what this is all about. Took us two hours to get out of the parking lot when the service was over. There was like smoke and lights and it was, it ain't my thing. It ain't my thing. So anyway, so they go to Lakewood Church and they just like stand up and are screaming in this, in the middle of this service, like, again, all their propaganda shit. And so they get arrested for like a disturbing the peace during this church service. I just thought it was comical, though, that, you know, Joel Osteen has some controversies surrounding him, too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, again, Lakewood is this huge church that makes so much fucking money. And he's got this massive house and private planes. Yes. Very Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And when Houston was flooding from a natural disaster, refused to open the doors of the church for like refugees, basically, of the floods. And so they got a lot of backlash because you're this church in the community and you are getting like a tax exempt status because you're supposed to be helping the community. And when the community needs you the most, you literally lock the doors and like, "Mm, sorry. I mean, we may have 750,000 million square feet of church that we could house these people, but mm, yeah, we're not going to do that. Sorry. That's just near and dear to my heart because I love Houston so much. And Oh, that made me so mad. Anyway. So it's just comical these cult members going in screaming at this other controversial pastor. Yeah. You know, it's just like, damn. You, you know, know, you know that part? Gosh, is it, you're going to be like, really these two, but is it dude, where's my car or the hangover when it's like, no, it's the hangover. And it's like, but did you die? You know? Yeah. I just, I just pictured them, but like, but you're not saved. But you're not saved. Like, but he changed his mind. Yeah. But he changed his mind. You yes, know? Like, yes. every time Joel is like, he accepts everyone and he will never, but he changed his mind. Yes. He can change his mind. You know, like everything. And be like, oh my God, get these motherfuckers out of here. Again, there's more little incidences where people were like arrested for trespassing or disturbing the peace for their preachings and all of that, which you know the church sees no issue with that because they're. Spreading the word. Right. How do you believe in this religion and how do you find any solace in it that he can just change his mind whenever? Because it doesn't matter if you follow it and you are in that teeny tiny area that they're giving you to walk, you know, whatever. He can just change his mind. It doesn't matter if you're doing everything right. If you're saying he can just change his mind anytime ever. He can literally just change his mind anytime ever. Hey, can he change his mind? He can just change his mind. I was just wondering because I didn't understand it the first 743 times you said it. Well, I'm just saying, but how how is that I know. something that someone says, hey, you know what? I want to be a part of this that I am going to literally have to like, not literally, but figuratively have to walk on eggshells my entire existence. Yeah. So I have one more little story that I want to tell. So there was a guy named Jordan Reichenberger. And he himself was quite religious and had gone to downtown Austin Halloween of 2016 because he was going to Austin to preach the gospel. And I'm sure chose Halloween because, you know, the things. 
Well, his family all of a sudden couldn't reach him. And they were like, oh my God, did he get carjacked? Like something happened to him? Freaking out because they couldn't reach him. Well, then he texts his family, I don't think it's my time to leave yet. Like talking about leaving the area. And then he texts some friends and he said, do not fear for me, my friend. I have decided to follow Jesus and forsake all. Please forgive any pain or grief I have caused you. Well, this is what had happened. He was up there preaching, you know, to all the people who were having fun on Halloween. When some of the members of the Church of Wells came up to him and said, you know, started asking him questions and were like, hey, oh, you know what? We're we're leaders from the Church of, or elders, whatever, from the Church of Wells. You want some water? Gave him some water. Like, hey, here's what we think. This is, tell us what you think. Cool. You want to come to our church with us for a little while? Hang out. Yada, yada, yada. Well, as soon as he gets in the car with them, they start like pelting him with like, this is our belief and da 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 question him. And, you know, it's just like over and over and over again. It's like drilling it into him. And so he ends up being at the church for like five days. When he gets there, he gets out of the van and they like take his clothes from him, give him different clothes. And it was like everybody already knew his name. And they're like, oh, we love you. We love you. We love you. Which is kind of what happened to the Myers guy because it was like, At first, everybody from the church was like, cult was really, really mean to him. And then one day he found out from someone who who escaped that Sean had actually like text everybody, which I'm like, why do they have phones? But whatever. Text everybody was like, actually, let's be nice to him. And so now they were like, we love you. We love you. And they're like, also nice. Much like this. It's like they're overboard with it. So he's gone for, like I said, like five days and his family finally like pings his phone and figures out where he is. Like find my iPhone, something, figure out where he is. And they look up Wells and they see all this stuff on the internet. Like there's a fucking cult here. Look out, look out. There's a cult here. And his family's like, fuck this. We're going to get him. When they get to the church of Wells to get Jordan back, they have to speak to the elders before they'll give his family permission to talk what? to him. Oh, hell no. Exactly. Well, what do you do, though? You can't just, like, break in because then you're trespassing and he's an adult, right? So they, like, tata the elders to be like, okay, 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 but can we see him? And at first they wouldn't let the family talk to him without someone from the cult being present. Very Scientology of them. I said what I said. We're about to get doxxed. But I said what I said. For some reason, though, they finally agreed to let Jordan go eat lunch with his family. So once they got Jordan like in the car, it was like, see ya, and like never fucking came back. When they get him home, though, his mom notices like something's off, man. Like something's real weird. And so she actually gets a drug screen done. I was about to say, do a talk screen. Something's in the water. Well, like literally. So she does a drug test and finds out that there are sleeping pills and muscle relaxers in his system. Damn. And Jordan does not have a history of using pills. Like, not at all. Like, he's clean all the way around. Like, he's going and preaching to all these people. You know, I mean, not saying that preachers can't have addictions, but there's no history of using any pills, much less like sleeping pills, muscle relaxers, or anything like that. And when Jordan comes to, he's like, Man, everything was like a haze. Like, from the minute he got in 
the van, car, whatever they took him in, it felt weird. And he was like, you know, they were in charge of his food. They were in charge of all of that. And he was like, it was like he was drugged. And there's actually a two-part Dr. Phil series on this. And people even talk about how, like, over-the-top Dr. Phil can be about, like, so then what happened kind of thing. But they're like, no, this felt so real and so, like, like, I even saw an interview with Dr. Phil, and he's like, they're on my my radar now kind of thing. Oh, shit. Like, Dr. Phil was having none of it. He's like, talks about how, like, quickly people can be programmed, especially when there's drugs in their systems. And so you get them brainwashed that much quicker by drugging them at first. And then um, I forget what it's called. I don't know why, because they said it 800 times like you did a second ago. But basically, they just bombard them with this doctrine when they're fucked up on drugs and then keep bombarding them as they get off the drugs. And it's like, then boom, they're brainwashed. There are some other people that have left the church that they say they felt like they were drugged. There's some other stuff saying there's like these sheds that the members live in that basically they're starving them, like AKA they're fasting kind of thing. And But there's not a lot of information still out there because this is still an active cult. Right. And oh. I know. And so there's not a lot of information and there's not going to be until people start leaving the cult. And it's not that big of a cult to where it's like, okay, it's a Waco. It's a, you know, something like that. Or the Branch Davidians. I guess I shouldn't say Waco because it's not. But it's not. They're not fr- fucking Branch Davidians. They're not Heaven's Gates. Like they're, you know. Yet. Right. It's something to be watching i mean it's really scary and again it's one of those things where you know and i just kind of glossed over like Catherine's story because there's way more to it you know again she tried to escape like four times and but every single time she had to go back but again it's where do you draw the line of they're an adult and they can make their own decisions and religious freedoms versus no we have to protect people and that (sighs) Yeah, and that's what's so hard about this story because we are set up for religious freedoms and all of that, but it's like, man, how do you keep people safe, though? Especially a poor, innocent baby that, I mean, never stood a chance because the minute that she wasn't eating, she should have been taken in for care, and she wasn't. She was fed through a freaking dropper. I mean, she's not a kitten. Right, yeah. I don't know. Uh, right? But there was so... It's it's just the way that they teach and the way that they isolate people and all of that. It's just very interesting to see how it lines up with every other cult we know mm-hmm. about and, and Scientology. And with the, like, shunning of people and all of that, too, and all of that, it's very Amish, too. Yeah. I wonder if 2020 made their followers grow like with everything happening with the pandemic and stuff if it made people think he could change his mind or like jesus could there you go i had to give it one more time yeah but you know what i mean like with everything up in the air and like all of this uneasiness and just with everything you know like when people they're searching for answers yeah for stuff. yeah well i would hope not because this Cult gives me fucking anxiety. Me too. It's like, you never know where you stand. I need to know where I stand. Yes. 
This would not be one that I would sign up for. Hell no. I would and, not fall for this one. No. And there's like footage of, I think it's Sean talking about this wife who was physically abused by her husband and that she deserved it. And so there's... Oh, I mean, hell no. Yeah, this is... I mean, they are awful. Awful. But until they do something illegal that we can prove, there's no shutting it down. And even then... There's ne- not necessarily anything shutting down the cult. Right. But, I mean, look at Warren Jeffs with the FLDS. He's in fucking prison right now. And he's still running it from mm-hmm. fucking prison. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, and I don't know why I said prison so weird. But, so it's like, even if they catch them in something where they could put, let's say, Sean Morris in jail, would it end the cult? I mean, you have to think of the level of deprogramming that goes into this. I mean, and you they say that, like, you can see some of the members, like, walking around listening to headphones and stuff. And I'm wondering if, just like the Branch Davidians and all, and the Jonestown, where they just, like, pipe in this rhetoric over the intercom system kind of thing. If, in their headphones, they're listening to this over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so, it's like, even if he went to jail, they're so indoctrinated and brainwashed that, I mean, without deprogramming them... Would they? Would the cult end? Could I be their deprogrammer? Y'all, he changed his mind. Y'all are saved again. Hallelujah. I just had to say it one more time. Okay. Can we do your story now? Okay. So Carrie's story was frustrating and sad. And unfortunately, mine is no different. Oh, shit. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. Picture it. Selena, Texas, March 13th. 1990. I'm sorry. Texas. Texas. Or however I said it. Yeah, I don't know what that was. (laughs) All right. Olivia and Travis Mabel, along with their seven-year-old son, Aiden, were living their dream on their 13-acre farm known as Footlights Ranch. On this day in March, though, they couldn't find Aiden And that wasn't like him. Sure, he was a kid, and he would explore because, hello, he lived on 13 acres. But he would always respond to his parents. He knew the rules. But this time, he didn't. And so his parents knew something wasn't right. And after they searched the property, they unfortunately did discover something was wrong. Aiden had accidentally drowned (gasps) earlier on the property That day. Oh, my God. And that was the moment life stopped for Olivia and Travis. You know, their beloved son was gone and gone way too soon. But Olivia took the loss harder than Travis did, and that drove a wedge between them. And that's not uncommon. We've seen that lots in parents that have had trauma and such tragedy as they've had. Like a kid goes missing or a kid is murdered or something like that. Absolutely. But we've seen where one parent might get caught up in that loss or in that cause of, I have to search for our our child. That's going to be their mission. You know, they're not going to give up, blah, blah, blah. But the other parent tries to do what they think is best and move on. And that's what Travis did. He tried to make the best of what they had together. He wanted them to be happy and live their lives like he thought Aiden would want them to do. 
as sad as he was knowing that his son was gone forever, but Olivia just could not get past that. She soon distanced herself from everyone. She no longer worked. She no longer hung out with friends or even talked to family. And that wedge that was between her and Travis eventually grew too large for them to even be together anymore. And they divorced in the early part of 1991. Travis was sad, but he was determined to keep living. And so he left the ranch to Olivia and moved to New England. And after a little bit, he remarried. Olivia stayed on the ranch and the last time she was seen in person was 1991. People would see her walk around the property, and that was it. You know, again, she did not talk to anyone. They would literally just see her out on the land. She became a hermit, a recluse, and somewhat of a legend around town. You know, the spooky lady who lived on the ranch that kids would tell stories about. But everyone just thought she kept to herself and lived off her land. Months went by... Years went by, and seriously, three years later, on February 27th, 1994, was really the first time anyone ever thought of her again. Around 9.30 at night, there were several 911 calls coming from the Mabel Ranch. Well, all the calls were silent, but the police had to respond anyway, we all know that, especially since there were several in a row. When the police arrived at Olivia's house, they knocked. There was no answer, so they tried to enter the home, but the door had swollen in the heat. You know, it hadn't been opened in what seems like forever, and so it was swollen shut, basically. But they finally were able to get inside, and what they found was it looked like no one had lived there for years. It was dusty, it was almost decrepit, but maybe she was just a really bad housekeeper. Maybe the legends were real and she was, you know, a scary bitch. But they didn't know how eerie that night was going to be until they started going through the bedrooms, searching for who made the calls. They entered the bedrooms, one after the other, all looking the same, like a ghost town, like afterthoughts, very neglected. Dust, cobwebs, things that looked like they hadn't been moved in years. Until they got to Aiden's room. And it was as if this was the only room that had life within the walls. Even though that's where they found it. The body of Olivia Mabel. She was sitting in a rocking chair. Her body slightly decomposed due to age, it seemed. And in her hand, she held a stick doll. Think Norman Bates' mom in a rocking chair, basically. But anyway, so the room was clean, but not spotless. On the opposite wall of Olivia's body, there was what seemed to be a homemade shrine or an altar to Aiden. So this is why I say not spotless, because it was kind of that clutter on that wall that made it not spotless. Yeah. Around the altar were letters that Olivia had handwritten, pictures that she had drawn all to Aiden. There were words in different languages that roughly translated to construct or to build. And those words were found by the altar. 
There was this one letter that they found, and it was dated on the same date that they entered the house, February 27th, which dumbfounded them again because this house, Olivia's body, everything was aged. Everything showed signs that there had been no life in there for years, but it was dated that day, that same day, and so they couldn't figure out how that was possible. The letter that had that date on it, this is what that said. My Aiden, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I should have never let it get like this. I'm leaving. I will not let you keep me, you vile, evil creature. Mommy's coming for you, Aiden. My sweet Aiden. Mommy loves you. What? Right? Francesca Santiago was one of the first officers on the scene. She said that she had an uncle who was into some of the more occult kind of stuff. And so she recognized the altar and some of the symbols immediately. But when she walked into that room, she felt a very angry presence. And she just felt that that presence was looming over just that room. But no one really wanted to say anything weird went on there because that would make them all seem like they believed in all of this nonsense, right? So with this case of Olivia Mabel, the city basically concluded that she died of a broken heart. You know, she died of self-negligence and the calls were just some sort of glitch. The letters were post-dated and just kind of a weird happenstance that they ended on the same date that the police were called in. And so Olivia Mabel's case was basically closed and considered a natural death, even though there were so many unanswered questions around it. And then there were so many spooky happenings and eerie circumstances around the land. The owner of the property, Christopher Hagen, he came into ownership after her passing, obviously. He had a hard time selling the property because the rumors were growing by the day. And so to put a stop to it, Christopher got in touch with a paranormal investigator from Austin. His name was Drew Navarro, and he wanted his expert opinion. But the moment Drew stepped onto the property, he said that he had never been in a place that had such an imposing force. He said he couldn't breathe and his heart was constantly racing. Drew went on to describe the land, the house, the energy as being possessive, but in the way of a child who's jealous and throwing a tantrum to get your attention. He said that he wasn't sure what's lurking there, but what he did know is that he didn't want to stay there for long and no one else should either. But like I mentioned before, there were so many legends about Olivia before she was ever found dead, but now the people of Selena had more legends about Olivia. They believed that Olivia might have conjured up someone or something while she was trying to contact Aiden, or while she tried to create a version of Aiden that would live with her in that room. But she didn't know what she was doing, and it got out of control. And we've kind of spoken about this thing before, where something wasn't real, but you gave it power by believing in it, by thinking it into existence. We kind of skimmed over it with the talk of Slender Man before, when we talked about him maybe being a tulpa. Right. Okay, so if you don't remember, a tulpa is believed to be basically 
a thought that has now been materialized into a form. So it's now a physical materialization of a thought. That's like from Wikipedia. In some studies and writings, it shows that after manifesting a tulpa, it can turn on the creator, which could have been what happened to Olivia. Some people might say that, oh, an imaginary friend could be a tulpa, which sure, it could be. But the thing about a tulpa is that you keep thinking about it and you keep building onto this thought that you have now given a life and they can be seen by everyone, not just who created them, i.e. Slender Man. So as they gain energy and strength, they gain visibility too. There was this Russian psychiatrist who published her experience with a shaman and he had merged his stream of consciousness or his spirit with hers. And so she said this was kind of proof that a tulpa could exist, how he merged his spirit with hers. And there's also different Buddhist teachings that talk about different holy men who created tulpas. And what they would do is they would have these tulpas guard divine locations and such. Because a tulpa doesn't have to be human. It can be a shadowy form. It could be an animal. It could be an inanimate object like a stone, a tree, but what it does have, it has its own identity. It has everything inside of it to make it a life of its own. It has its own thoughts. It has its own everything. And what's really scary is that over time, they can acquire their own identity and sometimes they can travel long distances away from the person who's created them And sometimes they can also function after the death of their creator as well, i.e. maybe in Olivia Mabel's case. So it could have been the tulpa that she had created or summoned that dialed 911, but it didn't have a voice or whatever. So that's why it was silent, but it needed to be found to be like let out to be whatever. I don't know. Yeah, that was my next question is, what does it gain from like being exposed or whatever? But I guess if it's needs power or like you said, needs to be like let go, discovered, then that's why. Exactly. They need everyone to see the letters, all of this to be like, whoa, this is spooky. Wait, what is this? Just so happens that the officer knew, okay, these symbols mean this. Okay, wow, this is, you know, like it's. A lot of it, you know, just adds up a little too much, maybe. But tulpas can develop evil intentions. They're not always created for evil intent. Like I said, the monks and other holy men had created them for security. A lot of people create tulpas for companionship, which could be why Olivia created a tulpa for her, i.e., for her loneliness from Aiden. However, like I said, is everything just too neatly done? Because all of it was just like there on the internet and it's like, holy shit, this is, one, how has this not been solved? But also we've had some really weird stuff that's still unsolved today that we went over and 
I believe it wholeheartedly. But I found this place called Elf Tree Media, and they had launched a Kickstarter campaign to fund a short film called Thought Form, which is basically what Tulpa means. But it's saying it's based on the story of Olivia Mabel. So it wants you to believe that this is a real story. They're creating this short film about this true story. But is it all kind of like a Blair Witch Project and the found footage? And they created this story to try to push their project forward. Mm -hmm. So is it all fake? And they're just trying to sell it as a real narrative. But everything's fake. Well, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So then on that, in doing that, even if it's all fake... If Olivia Mabel, Travis Mabel, and Aiden Mabel never existed, but we're talking about this, we're talking about them, we're talking about tulpas and thought form and all of this. And I mean, tulpas go back to like Tibetan history and like I said, Buddhist. All I mean, like I give credibility to tulpas. I'm not saying this is a new thing. Right. But if you put like Slenderman and so I believe Slenderman does have more power because of the thought form and all of us talking about him and all that, it could give energy and give something to it. So us talking about Olivia Mabel, does that give her energy to exist? Does that give this tulpa that she created energy to exist like does us talking about her even though it's fake does that make it real even though it's fake and they created this about fake you know what i mean it's yeah, kind of like inception saying. because they created about a tulpa about her making something up that you know what i mean but then like we're talking about it and we keep talking about it and so does that give that energy and so like where does it stop because you know, like, right, yeah. So, are we making that more a reality now? The Kickstarter didn't get the funding, and I don't think Thoughtform ever was created. But I don't know. It just made me think. You know, the ring. It scared me, and I wouldn't watch the TV at the point when it showed like the flickering images because I was so scared that since I watched some of the movie, mm -hmm. like the actual movie within the movie, yeah. I would only have like whatever days until I would have to find someone else to watch the movie with me. And then they would have yeah. so many days, you know, and it's like, this isn't real, Donna, but what if it is? Because, and then if you think about tulpas, like, am I giving it thought form and am I giving it power to have that, that power over us? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's so scary that I don't know, like, you know how we always say, like, we're our own worst enemy? Mm -hmm. But, like, what if we really are? I mean, maybe. But I also feel like it's almost like that's too simplistic. Like, if that was the case, every monster that a kid was afraid of would come to life. And we'd be fucking living in, like, a Marvel movie. How do you know we're not? Because we're not. <laughs> because I don't know. But you get what I'm saying? Yeah, though? yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, as far as did they exist, I mean, you would have to look at like her decomposition as it relates to like the level of dust everywhere else. 
Because there's no way she could exist in this house and it have no evidence of someone living there. Like, this is just impossible. So, what was her level of decomposition compared to the level of dust and shit everywhere? Right. But even if it is consistent, then how do you explain the calls and how do you explain the letter? Yeah, I don't know. Unless she had something like programmed to call. But I mean, why? Like what was significant about that date? And it's 1991. Yeah. But my question would be like, what's the purpose of the date? Or 93, whatever. Like what is the significance right. for that one day? Like why did that one day have to be when she was found? Right. But if she really did like summon something, I mean, she could have done like a Ouija board or something to contact Aiden and then let fucking something in. Right. So it may not even be that Tulpa business. It may be, you know, she really let some shit in that she wasn't supposed to, you know, and it just got out of control. Yeah, I just, I don't think, I don't think it's real. I think it's kind of like Blair Witch Project and they were just trying to make it, to make it seem real because... I don't know. It was all just neatly packaged. Well, if Donna doesn't believe in something. No, but I believe in a tulpa. 100%. But I think if if a tulpa is real, then it takes more than how you were saying, you know, with that movie, like, oh, my God, I can't watch this because of the, you know, it takes way more intention, I feel like, than that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not as much as I was. However, I don't know because it, I don't know. I think it, it has to do more than the energy I was giving it was more of me being afraid, not intention. Like you said, you know, like it wasn't an intentional, like I wasn't trying to manifest that being real. And this is more about manifesting and creating mm-hmm. and not like me freaking out that, oh my gosh, I'm living in a real chain letter, you know, that's going to like cut my hand off if I don't mail this out in five days type situation. Yeah. But I believe in manifestation and stuff. So I have to believe in tulpas and that power of when you put your mind and your energy into something that it can create something. Well, I mean, that's just like someone believing in a vision board or, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's a smaller scale, but you believe that like what you're putting out in the universe is what you're going to get back. Right. Also, they mentioned with Tulpa's, like, astral projecting and stuff like that. Can you do an episode on that, please? I will. I really will because I'm super interested in that and I really want to learn more about it. Not for me to do it because, I look, I don't have the attention span to do it. But even with that, they were saying that Tulpa's could take over your body, basically. And, like, you would astral project and they could... Like, you would be astral projecting, but they would be, like, basically, you'd be in an ambient state, and they would be controlling your body, doing whatever they wanted to do, because they have their own their own identity at this point. And so that's where it can become dangerous. If they want to do something evil, they could kind of become, like, your evil twin on that point. Maybe all those soap operas had something. I mean, they might have. So y'all let us know, do you believe Olivia Mabel and her family lived? Do you think it's a whole hoax? What do you think about Tulpas? Do you want like a more in-depth thing on that? Astral projection? Do y'all want that? Yes. They, I don't care. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I really I do I have want spoken. That. I want it. 
Okay, okay. I don't ask for much. Okay. I mean, I ask for a lot of things, but not as it relates to what kind of story you do. That's true. I'll, okay, next time, astral projection. Oh, thanks. See, I would never just remember kidding. that. Oh, mother humpa. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or am I? You got to keep her on her toes. If y'all could see my face. <laughs> well, like she said, tell us what y'all think about all the things with her story. Is it or ain't it? I don't know. But what I do know is the Church of Wells is a fucking cult. So stay mm-hmm. the fuck away. It is. And it's all located in Texas. What's going on in Texas? Allegedly. I ain't uh, trying to get sued. <laughs> I mean, it's all located in Texas. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the cultness. Yeah. But, like I said in her story, if it looks like a duck and it talks like, quacks like a duck, or talks, whatever. But y'all let us know what y'all think. Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. Well, as they say now, follow. And leave us a review. But mostly, remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get scared. scared.